Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Hey, as uh, as our, our kids are, are going a little worship, uh, this morning you're bulletin, you'll see that we're back in our series through the Gospel of Luke. We took a little break during the summer. And, uh, you know, being, being that we started this series like two years ago, and this morning is our 70th sermon in Luke, probably not a bad idea just to remember, like, why, why, why all this? Why spend so many years through one book of the Bible, right? Um, well, it's because Luke is for doubters, and Luke is for skeptics. Uh, it's for the lost. It's Luke is for the disenfranchised. Um, Luke is for those who don't know much about Jesus. Uh, Luke is for those who are grieving and and just don't know if you can make it. Uh, Luke is for proud, stubborn people. Uh, Luke is for those whose hope is in Jesus and those who are at the end of their ropes. Uh, in other words, Luke is Luke's for all of us. It's for all of us. And his entire purpose in writing this was to give an orderly account of Jesus so that at the end of the day, our faith would be strengthened and by the Spirit, we might be certain uh, about the truth claims of Jesus. And so as we transition back into Luke and this morning, Luke 17, I want to kind of try to, or at least try to set the mood this morning with two short stories. Uh, First is just a classic preacher parable. You know, there are some parables that preach, like every preacher's probably used. Uh, well, this one's gotten a lot of miles over the years. Uh, the, the, the parable goes, there once was a woman whose son got swept up in a tornado. And the woman cried and she cried for help. Lord, please bring back my baby boy. He's all I have. I'd do anything. I'd give anything. Just get him back, please. Well, suddenly her son fell from the sky right at her feet. How safe and sound. It was a miracle God had provided. But as the mother joyfully embraced her son, she noticed that something was still missing with her boy. And so she glared up at the heavens and said, he had a hat, Lord. Where's his hat? You know, some go through life uh, thinking God and everyone else owes them something. And so when we don't get what we think we are owed, uh, we spend much of our life grumbling, right? That's second story. Uh, some of y'all know Jim Baird, right? Longtime Presbyterian minister, uh, now in glory. Uh, but he would tell this story that happened while he was uh, in ministry. And as a so as a believer and as a pastor, the, the Lord's Day was a pretty important day for, at least for his family. And so they did their best to set it apart and to make this a very special day. And so they worshiped on Sunday. They, they feasted. They had the best meal of their whole week uh, was on the Lord's Day. And then on Sundays, each one of his kids got to enjoy an ice-cold Coca-Cola. The rules in their house were six days they would labor and have no Coca-Cola. But on the seventh day, the Lord's Day, they got some Coca-Cola. Well, at some point, Jim Baird got called to be a pastor at a church in Gaston, Alabama. And at that church, there just so happened to be a member who was the president of the local Coca-Cola distributor. And so not long after they moved to Gadsden, this member showed up at the Baird's home with kind of a housewarming gift uh, of not one Coke, 
but then this is showing its age. But back, y'all remember back, they had the entire racks of 24 glass bottles. They sold them by the rack. Um, well, not just one rack of 24 glass bottles, but one rack for each of their kids. It was as if the new heavens and the new earth descended on their doorsteps that day to those kids. Well, they enjoyed those Cokes a whole lot. Well, fast forward a little bit, and the Baird family were in the church parking lot getting ready to leave from church that morning when the member who gave them the Cokes walked up, you know, was walking over to their car. And, you know, like parents do, Jim said, hey, kids, here comes that man who gave you all those Cokes. What are you going to say to him? What do you say? He kind of, you know, prompting the kids. And so the man got there, and one of the kids just looked at him, and this is what he said. He said, mister, we out of Cokes. We, we, we out. It was no, no thank you. It was just, we need more, please, more. Um, it's a funny story, but how many times, how many times have we, especially as Christians, how many times have we been thankless children? You know, it, it's so easy to be, isn't it? And so to that, just a couple of quotes, and then we'll read our passage. G.K. Chesterton said, when it comes to life, the critical thing is whether we take things for granted or take them with gratitude. Brene Brown said, what separates privilege from entitlement is gratitude. Karl Barth, theologian, argued that grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth, that grace evokes gratitude like the voice and echo. Grace, or he's, gratitude, he says, follows grace like thunder lightning. William Law said to be in a thankful state of heart before God is not to be considered a high plane of spirituality, but rather just the normal attitude of a believer. He says this is just the baseline of anyone who believes all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. You know, a thankful heart is just the, the bare minimum. Way back in the 300s AD, Ambrose of Milan said no duty is more urgent no duty is more urgent than that of returning thanks. And then finally, way back in the 13th century, Meister Eckhart, y'all definitely heard this. He said, if the only prayer you pray is thank you, then you have prayed well enough. Well, possibly you're thinking, Richard, look, that's all well and good, but what, is, <laughs> what does God have to say about this topic? What does Jesus have to say? Well, this morning, as we, we read this encounter that Jesus had with 10 lepers, we're going to find out at least in part, what he has to say about this, this topic. And so with that, I want to invite you to come and, and see. So this is God's good word, Luke 17, 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, uh, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as Jesus entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When Jesus saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving Jesus thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Well, then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except the foreigner? And Jesus said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And if you have your Bibles open, you'll notice that there's a footnote at the end of that verse, uh, which notes that, that most scholars say that 
the better translation and probably the right translation of this because it is the same word, it probably should go, rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. So with that, let's pray. Father, this morning as we walk through this passage, may the gospel uh, be aloe vera to our sunburned soul. Uh, Lord, we ask that it would bring soothing, uh, that it would bring conviction. Uh, But Lord, our conviction wouldn't drive us to despair, but it would just drive us to Jesus. Uh, So Lord, lift us up uh, this morning. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So responding to God's grace through thankfulness has kind of fallen on hard times, right? It's, uh, It's easy to think of ingratitude or being ungrateful as this I mean, it's kind of a small, right? It's kind of like a respect. It's a respectable sin. I mean, it's not like we're killing people, right? It's not like it's murder. But the 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 only problem with that is that's not what we find in Scripture, is it? Thanklessness is the anti-God state of mind. It's it's the spirit of entitlement, right? That God and everyone else owes us everything, and we owe them nothing. Ingratitude is at the heart of our rebellion against God. I mean, what did Paul say in Romans 1? If if you remember, he said, for the wrath of God is being revealed against heaven or from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. For although they knew God, what happened? They did not honor God or give thanks to him. In 2 Timothy, Paul, (laughs) he took a shot across the bow saying, church, uh, Westminster, understand, like, we got we to get this. He says, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. People are going to be lovers of money and proud and arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. And then skip a little bit, and he says, having the appearance of godliness, by, but denying its power. And he says, avoid such people. Avoid such people. And look, we can talk about cultural hot, hot topics and hot spots all we want, right? We, we can talk about sexuality and intersectionality and critical race theory all we want, but that may just be a distraction from first taking to heart Paul's words about our own hearts, right? That what we find is that the mirror is a whole lot harder to hold than binoculars, right? You know, it's possible really to, to fake a whole lot of things in life. It is totally possible to show up at worship and to kind of just go through the motions. It's it's possible to fake prayer. It's possible to fake our ways through sermons. You know, I think I told you that I have a friend who's now in ministry, but he was saved in seminary. Like he'd already preached countless sermons, but but he he was kind of faking his way through. He was saved in a preaching class. You can totally fake it and have everyone saying that now that you that is a Christ follower. Okay. But you can't fake this. I read this article. Some of y'all may have seen this uh, article about how the Philippines are so bummed that Taylor Swift isn't coming to the Philippines in her next world tour uh, that they decided, they said, you know what, we're going to start hosting our own Taylor Swift concerts. And so they they started faking the whole thing. And so they found this Filipino woman. They dressed her up like Taylor Swift. They stick her up on a stage. They hit the play button and she just lip syncs the entire time. And it's like, it's this whole thing. And it's not like, 
He's like, oh, how sad. No, like they're selling out like arenas in, in the Philippines. Okay. It's, and it's total fake. And then you can watch this. You can watch these videos. And of course, we look at this like, oh, these poor, poor people. It's just so sad. It's such a sad knockoff. Um, okay. I don't know how else to say it. But as a, as a Christ follower in gratitude, okay. Ingratitude is the Filipino version of Taylor Swift. Okay. You look at it, it's like something's. This just doesn't look right. I mean, you, you cannot be captured by the grace and mercy of our good, good Heavenly Father and be ungrateful, okay? And so possibly you've lost some of the wonder of grace. And, and so this, though this passage is about Jesus interacting with these lepers, it's really about all of us and our need of mercy, which is our, our first brief point. We need mercy, <laughs> It's not owed to us. We didn't earn it, we, but we need it. You know, as Jesus was on his way, he's, he's walking to Jerusalem to Passover. As he's walking, 10 lepers cried out. They said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. You know, back then, and we know this, if you had leprosy, they thought in that culture, they thought it meant that God was punishing you, right? That, that you, had, you were under a curse. And and you were required, if you had leprosy, not only to social distance, not six feet, but like 100 paces from everybody, but you also had to quarantine yourself from your family, from your friends. And so, while everyone else is like having fun, enjoying the resort at Cabo, you're like Tyler Blocker, right? You're locked in the room all by yourself, Only, but you're not only by yourself. Uh, you're locked in the room with other lepers. How about that? And, and then what's more is... If you ever came in within earshot of someone else, like someone else can kind of see you or maybe hear you, it was up to you to cry out, unclean, unclean, stay away. As Ray Cortez said, can you imagine? Can you imagine if you had to scream out what made you unclean? Can you imagine that? The, the, the humiliation to go out around Greenwood and say, adulterer, I just want you to know I've got a past. You know, liar, I'm unthankful, I'm greedy. I can imagine if you had to self-identify the ugliest parts of your life before the whole community. Stay, stay away, like this is my shame, you need to stay away from me. You know, back then you'd wake up in the morning, it's not like you did anything to earn leprosy, you would wake up one morning with a spot on your hand and life as you knew it was over, right? Banished. Never to lay in the same bed as your spouse, never to hug your kids again. I mean, you were unclean. You were ostracized. You were homeless. You were untouchable. Like you, do, you don't exist anymore. And so, yes, when you're in that state, your only cry is, give me mercy or else I die. And so Jesus walked by these 10 lepers who knew their need of mercy. They're at the bottom rung, and he showed them mercy. So what's Mr. Who Needs Mercy? Well, as offensive as it sounds, you need mercy, and I need mercy. Uh, you know, b believe you're a good person. You can believe you're a good person who God would be crazy not to love. You, you believe that all you want, but we can't underestimate the total hit job that the fall did to our souls, that, that we may not be outward, you know, lepers of the skin, but we all have soul leprosy. Naturally, every single one of us will or have, we all carry shame that if, that if people really knew all, all, this, all this shame that we carry, we would be banished too. 
And naturally, our sin quarantines us from our Creator, right? We, we, we just can't get back. The only, the only one we were meant to have a true, lasting, forever eternal relationship with, and all the doing more and the trying harder can't restore that relationship. And so we're helpless. And so our only cry is, Jesus, give us mercy or else we die. And it's really easy to forget this because we can distract ourselves so well today. It's so easy in the modern world. But again, listen to what Martin Luther said to this need that we have. He said, even though we are in faith, the heart is always ready to boast of itself before God and say, after all, I've preached so long, I've lived so well, I've done so much, surely God will take this into account. He says, but when you come before God, leave all that boasting at home and remember to appeal from justice to grace. He says, I myself have been preaching grace for almost 20 years and I still feel the old clinging dirt of wanting to deal so with God that I may contribute something so that he will have to give his grace in exchange for my holiness. He says, still, I cannot get it into my head that I should surrender myself completely to sheer grace. Yet this is what I should and must do. Westminster, God doesn't owe you anything. Doesn't owe you anything. Doesn't owe me anything. What we need and what he gives is his mercy. Okay? Which then brings us to our second takeaway. Notice here who gets it. Notice who gets it. You know, Jesus heard their cry, but he didn't go over and, you know, razzle, dazzle them like an ancient Near Eastern faith healer. No, from, from a distance, without healing them, Jesus just said, go and go show yourselves to the priest. And it it's almost sounds kind of callous. Like, Jesus, go at least go talk to him, go meet him. But in that ancient culture, it made total sense, right? Because back then, the priest, bless their hearts, the, the priests were the CDC. And they were the keepers of the public health. And so if, if, if for you to be considered clean or for you to be, to unquarantine and reintegrate into society, they didn't take COVID tests. You just go talk to your priest. And there's this whole ritual thing that happened before you could be restored. And so Luke notes, as they walked, as they went to the priest, they were cleansed. Um, could do a whole sermon on that one thing, right? I mean, talk about obedience. They, they didn't wait until they had been healed. They didn't wait until they got it before they left, but they just, they just walked. And as they were walking, they were healed of their leprosy. They discovered, as J.C. Ryle said, healing is found on the path of obedience. Um, healing is found on the path of obedience. I mean, God could definitely miraculously heal us or, or take away our struggles just instantly. But at the same time, healing and recovery is often found in the path of obedience, right? But then something really interesting happened. The ten go off. They're going to find the priest. But one of the ten turned around, didn't, didn't make it to the priest. He came back crying out in thanks. Something compelled him back. He fell down at Jesus' feet and really became a, a holy fool, made a fool of himself. And here's the kicker. And by the way, here's one of the reasons the Pharisees hated Jesus. Here's one of the reasons he was ran out of his hometown. All 10 were physically healed. All 10 of them received mercy, but only one was healed all the way through. Okay? Only one was made new. Jesus said, because of your faith, you have been saved. You've been reborn. 
Well, who was it who not only received mercy, but also received saving grace? Well, verse 16 says, now he was a Samaritan. <laughs> and mic drop, right? Um, it's well known, so well known that the Jews despised the Samaritans. Completely just despised them. They were low lives. They were muggles. They were half breeds. And, and like, they weren't like regular Gentiles. Jews could understand a regular Gentile pagan. Of course, they're pagans and they're Gentile dogs. But, but for a Samaritan, a Samaritan was, well, you, you were a Jew. And, and, when, and when the invading armies came in, you sold the farm, so to speak. And you gave up your culture and you gave up your God and you intermarried with the pagan nations. And so to borrow, I've used this before, but to borrow from Brad Paisley, to a Jew, there was two feet of topsoil, a little bit of bedrock, limestone in between, fossilized dinosaur, a little patch of crude oil, thousand feet of granite underneath. And then at the very bottom was the Samaritans. And look, knowing the history of the American South, it's not too difficult to understand the emotional space of Jesus' hearers here, right? To have a culture in which one group of people feels superior to another group of people, right? And how all just audacious, I mean, how could he say that? To say who got it? Now, Jesus is staring the power players of the culture in the eye, and he say, look, it wasn't the religious proud people. It, it was not the superior people who got it. The people who, who think, you know, God's, God's lucky to have me. And God, thank you so much that I am not like filling the blank. No, if this happened in Greenwood, maybe this is my heart. If this happened to my experience in Greenwood, it may very well have went like this. Ten people were healed, but the one with the squatted truck and the loud pipes that likes to race around town got it. He got it. Ten people were healed. But the Alabama fan came back. Like, what? How offensive is that? Ten people were healed. But the nine living on, on Grand Boulevard, they, they didn't come back. But the one from Grenada Boulevard got it. You know, Jesus is always humbling the proud, is he not? I mean, he is always humbling the proud while going after the broken. In case you didn't notice in the Gospels, Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Who was it that came and honored him and washed his feet? It was the very sinful woman, right? It, it's the Samaritan woman at the well, you know, this, this uh, serial adulterer. It's the woman caught in adultery. Uh, it's Zacchaeus that he visits. It's all the worse. It's all the shame-filled. It's, it's over and over and over again. It's like Jesus wants us to see that if you feel like you're too far gone, that if you feel you are too broken, too dirty, then the gospel is very good news indeed. Because Jesus seems to be really fond of people just like you. And so who gets God's mercy and grace? Well, it's ruined sinners like this Samaritan. And ruined sinners like you. And like me and all who run to Jesus by faith. Which then brings us to our final takeaway. Okay, how do you respond to such mercy? How do you respond to Jesus cleansing your soul and bringing you back home to the Father? Well, if you've been saved, then there's this one visceral response. You could even call it a reflex. Thankfulness 
thankfulness. You know, it's been said that as you get older, I don't know why this works, but as you get older, everybody seems to have one prevailing attitude that people can kind of see in each person. You know, you always hear people as they get older, hey, as you get older, you either get better or you get bitter, right? Um, you either are such a content person or you're just a malcontent. You know, you're either a grateful person or that person's so ungrateful. And we, you know, what, what prevailing attitude defines you? Well, only one returned and Jesus asked one of the most haunting questions in all the Bible. Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? Because you got to think, surely those nine people were grateful, right? I mean, they were healed. But that maybe they were so caught up in the here and the now that they never took the time to actually direct that gratitude back towards Jesus. They were all shown mercy, and yet 90% took it for granted, never thanking God, right? I don't know if you saw this morning, uh, Jim Phillips posted this statistics about churchy stuff, and um, he said that, or it said that uh, today, 25.7% of people that live in Mississippi are actively involved in church, 25.7%. Um, he says that he notes that is a decrease of 13% in the past five years. Um, and Mississippi would probably be a- ahead of most other states in the nation. Um, you know, maybe that 90% deal isn't so far off, right? Tim Keller said it's one thing to be grateful, but it's another thing to give thanks. He says gratitude is what you feel, and it's good to have these feelings. But thanksgiving is what you is what you do. It's what you do with that gratitude. And so what's been your response to God's mercy to you and Jesus? Um, are you staggered by the grace you've received? Or are you never content? Um, to, you know, to use the parable of the sower, have, have the cares of the world choked a lot of this out. Um, if Jesus is your hero, then thanksgiving will bubble up in our lives some way. Of course, for the daily graces that we receive every single day, like meals. But we'll also gather together to give thanks and praise communally, right, in worship. In which, by the way, that's, that's what public worship is. It's us gathering together to say, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you. And what's more is we'll never stop. You know, we'll, we'll never run out of reasons to thank God because God's grace never stops, right? It's this great story that comes from Charles Spurgeon. Apparently, Charles Spurgeon shared the gospel with a lady, and this was a very talkative lady. And we know people like this, right? Like you, He could barely, even Spurgeon could barely get a word in with this lady. But somehow, apparently, she listened just enough to hear the good news, and she began to understand the mercy of God the mercy that God had for her in Christ. And in excitement, she said, oh, Mr. Spurgeon, if Christ saves me, he'll never hear the end of it, right? He'll never hear the end of it. Well, how true is that, right? That Jesus will never hear the end of it. His mercy is so wide, grace so deep, uh, that it's going to be as we're just about to sing, right? When we've been there 10,000 years, Bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Oh, Westminster, may it be so, right, with our souls. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, through your spirit, may you continue to come and capture each heart here, uh, each heart hearing this. 
with your mercy and your grace, and may we see it by your Spirit and respond. Uh, Lord, may you give us hearts of gratitude, hearts of thanksgiving. Um, Lord, cause us to run back uh, day after day, week after week, back to Jesus' feet uh, like a holy fool and say thank you. Uh, Thank you, Jesus. Uh, Lord, may you bless us and keep us uh, in your grace. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.